All right. Hey, buddy. <laughs> Got to say good morning to Pops, right? So good to see everyone here this morning. I want to welcome our visitors and guests. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us live online as well. I also want to welcome some personal friends of mine, uh, Macy and Dana Wilcox. They come from the Roberts Hill congregation where I used to preach, and they were some of our closest friends. Macy's mom and stepdad meant so much to me. They were such an encouragement to me and, and so good to me and just so blessed to know their family and, and to have them in our lives. And I'm glad they were able to stop in and see them and make sure that you give them a central welcome as well. I also want to share some good news with you. Laura Reynolds and Barbie uh, Simpson were baptized on Thursday. And uh, yeah... And what's really cool was Laura's husband, Will, baptized her. I encouraged him to do that, but I'm afraid it's created a monster. He now wants to be called Reverend Reynolds. (laughs) So um, if anybody else needs to be baptized, I think uh, Will said he's available. But I'm so proud of them and the decision that they've made As you guys can see, we're still in our series, Forgotten, Disregarded, and Misunderstood. And as I said from the very beginning, we're not talking about a certain someone. You know, so oftentimes when we see these words, maybe we think of ourselves or we think of someone else and we think, you know, that's kind of how I feel at times, forgotten, disregarded, and misunderstood. But actually what we're talking about in this series is God's Word. And listen, if you've missed any of the lessons in this series, you can go back and catch up uh, through our website. We also have a church Facebook page. We also have a podcast as well so that you can go back and listen to any of these lessons. But today I want to kick off our next lesson by sharing with you a story that is absolutely one of my favorites. It's about a truck driver who was passing through Nebraska one afternoon, and he stopped in at a diner. And when he went into the diner, he was seated, and a waitress came up, took his order. He ordered a hamburger, french fries, coffee, and then he waited to be served. Well, while he was waiting, three rough-looking characters walked in, three bikers. I'm talking about the guys that wear the leather jackets and the chains. They walked through the door just as his food was being placed on the table. And they walked up to the truck driver, and they began to give him a hard time. I mean, they were saying all kinds of ugly things to him. And then finally, one of them reached down and picked up his hamburger and started to eat it. Can you imagine? And then another one of the bikers reached down and picked up his fries and and started eating them. And then the other biker reached down and he picked up his his coffee and and started to drink it. But the the truck driver, he just kind of didn't respond. He just stood up. He walked over to the counter. He paid his bill and he walked out the door. And the waitress who watched all this just felt so bad for the guy and she just went running over to the window and watched him as he he drove out of the parking lot and then she went to wait on the bikers. 
And when she walked up, they were all laughing. And one of them spoke up and said, huh, he wasn't much of a man, was he? To which the waitress, she just simply replied, well, I don't know about that, but he's definitely not much of a truck driver. And they all started laughing, and, and finally one of them spoke up and said, well, why do you say that? And she said, well, as he was driving out of the parking lot, he ran over three motorcycles. <laughs> Here's the point of the lesson. Conflict happens. But the question is, what do we do when it happens? How do we respond when someone hurts us? How do we respond when someone wounds us, wrongs us? Well, here's a passage from the book of Hebrews that we don't ever need to forget or disregard. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15, the Hebrew writer says, Watch out that no, what church? Poisonous root of what? Bitterness grows up to trouble you. Notice the Hebrew writer describes bitterness like poison, which really we take ourselves when someone harms us or, or someone hurts us or, or upsets us. So oftentimes when we hold something over someone. So oftentimes in our minds when we scheme and, and we plan to get even or to say something ugly back or to respond in an ugly way, it feels empowering, right? It feels strong. Oftentimes it feels like the right thing to do, but the reality is it's enslaving. There was an interesting study done several years ago on forgiveness. They had gotten a, a large group of people together and they asked them to remember some conflict that they had had in their life where someone hurt them or, or wounded them. And then they divided them into two groups. Those who had forgiven those wounds or those hurts and those who had not. And then after they divided them into those two groups, they asked them to do a very simple exercise. They asked them to jump as high as they could. And this is what they discovered. Those who had forgiven could, could jump consistently three inches higher than those who had not forgiven. And here's what the lead researcher concluded. A state of unforgiveness is like carrying a heavy burden, a burden that victims carry around with them when they navigate the physical world. Forgiveness can lighten this burden. In other words, here is secular research saying if you walk around in unforgiveness, there is physiological consequences. It's actually like carrying a weight around with you. Now again, at the time, it may seem empowering, but actually bitterness is enslaving. In fact, write this down this morning. Holding on to wrongs never turns out right because bitterness leads 
to bondage. And, and some of you may say, well, well, how so? Well, first of all, bitterness binds us to our offender. Bitterness allows the person who has hurt us to live in our heads rent-free. Bitterness allows the person who has wronged us to control our experience of peace and joy. In other words, unforgiveness will imprison you. And here's the thing, the one guarding the prison is you. Think about the person who has wronged you. Do you really believe that they're still thinking about that moment? Do you still think that they're constantly walking around in their mind thinking to themselves, man, I I really hurt them. I, I really wounded them. I'm reminded of LeBron James. Some of you may remember several years ago when LeBron James moved on from Cleveland to Miami, people were upset. Y'all remember that? I'm sure Derek uh, Purvis remembers that. He's he's a basketball fan. In fact, uh, some of the Cleveland fans, they had a jersey burning. They began to burn LeBron's jersey. Now... Think about this. Do you really believe that hurt LeBron? Who was it that got hurt in that? The one who paid all that money for the jersey and now it's gone, right? And, and really, that's how bitterness works. It gives someone else control over our experience of peace and joy while they themselves, they haven't given it a second thought. And so, really, bitterness binds us to our offender, but also bitterness binds us to a wrong sense of fairness. You can look at Romans chapter 12, verse 17, where Paul writes, Do not repay, what church? Evil for evil, right? But notice what he says, do not repay, what? Anyone. Don't repay anyone evil for evil. Now, now here's the question, do we really believe that? Do we really believe this applies to anyone? Because you see, here's the temptation for us to play the um, exception card. Right? This This is where we start to oftentimes disregard Scripture because of our emotions, because of our feelings, because we've been hurt, right? We, we begin to say to ourselves, well, yeah, I, I see what Paul is saying here, but look, you don't understand all the things that were done to me. You don't understand my situation. In, in other words, there's a, the temptation to play the exception card. It applies to them, but it doesn't apply to me because I've been hurt too deeply. And and really, that's the problem with bitter people. They're always keeping score. 
Which remember what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. This is what we like to call the love chapter. It talks about what love is and what love is not. And you get down to verse 5 and this is what Paul says. Love, what church? Keeps no record of when it has been what? Of when it's been wrong. But bitter people keep detailed journals, right, of their wrong. And and the bitter person makes them the focal point through which they interpret the events of their lives. But, But let me ask you a question this morning. Who is to be our focal point? God. Who is to be magnified in our lives? God. But so oftentimes we magnify ourselves or we magnify our wounds, making them bigger and bigger and bigger instead of magnifying God. And the bitter person says, I'll take his place. And in the place of God, the bitter person decides, I can assign motives, I can assign hearts, and I can decide what the judgment ought to be. And any time we get our thinking out of line with the wisdom of God, we allow in our mind the creation of a stronghold. We allow in our minds a pattern of thinking that creates a place for our enemy to have influence. You see, ultimately, bitterness also binds us to Satan's agenda. In other words, I invite Satan in when I don't toss resentment out. Listen, we have a very real enemy. He's called Satan or the devil And what we all need to understand is he hates each and every one of us. And the reason for that is because Satan hates anything that God loves, and you need to know that God loves you. But he doesn't want what's best for you. In fact, what our spiritual enemy wants to do is he wants to keep us in bondage. That's why Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, right? In, in his first letter, he says to the church at Corinth, listen, there's a guy, there's, there's a Christian among you who is living in blatant immorality. And what you need to do is you need to discipline him so that he will repent. And guess what? The church does. They, they discipline him. And the man, he repents. But then he goes on and he writes another letter to the Corinthian church. And this is what he says in chapter 2, verses 10 through 11. He says, When you forgive this man, I forgive him too. And when I forgive him for whatever, for whatever is to be forgiven, I do so with Christ's authority for your benefit. So that who, church? Satan will not outsmart us, for we are very familiar with his evil schemes. In other words, Paul says Satan loves to traffic in the realm of unforgiveness. He loves to operate where resentment exists. 
In fact, we, we need to understand that even though Satan may have not may not have caused the wrong, listen, we've got to understand and we've got to know that he will definitely show up to try and exploit it. And to put us right back in bondage. And so Paul writes to the church at Ephesus and he says these words in Ephesians chapter 4 verses 26 through 27. He says, don't sin by letting anger gain control over you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. For anger gives a mighty foothold to who church? To the devil. Now don't misunderstand this morning, it's not wrong to be upset about injustice, but it is wrong when we respond to that wrong in the wrong way. Right? When, when someone wrongs us and then we respond in the wrong way, we respond in a way that is not Christ-like. But also it's wrong when it enslaves us. And so Paul says in Ephesians 4, verses 31 through 32, he says, Do what, church? Get rid of all bitterness. Don't forget that. Don't disregard that. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. And then he goes on to tell us how, right? Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Now again, this is, this is where we're tempted to play that exception card, but it's like you just don't understand You don't understand what this person did to me. Paul doesn't understand what this person did to me. Paul doesn't understand my situation. And I really wouldn't go there because Paul is writing this from prison. If anyone suffered injustice, it was Paul. He probably suffered more injustice than anyone. And yet here is Paul saying, listen... Forgive. Get rid of bitterness. Get rid of anger and and rage. Don't stay in prison. Several years ago, Shepard and I, we used to love to play together a game called Angry Birds. Any of you played that game before? It's an old game. It's still still around. Um, But... If you've never played it, I'll kind of explain the concept. You have these birds and they're angry at these pigs because they've stolen their eggs. Okay. Now what happens is these pigs, they start building themselves inside of structures. And some of the structures are wooden, some are metal, some are made of ice. But here's the deal, these angry birds, they have a slingshot. And so they are shooting themselves at these structures to try and get even with these pigs. But in the process, as they land, guess what happens to the birds? They blow up. Right? Why would anyone want to be an angry bird? Listen, when trying to destroy the person we're angry at, 
It's really only destroying us. In fact, here's the truth. It, it isn't just our offender we release when we forgive. We're releasing ourselves. Every one of us has memories. Every one of us has a story that we could tell about being wronged or, or hurt by someone, right? And so maybe that's why Jesus talks so much about conflict in the Gospels. But here's the interesting part. Jesus says very little to the individuals who have done the wounding. Most of what Jesus says is written to the individuals who have been wounded. Like back in Matthew chapter 6. Here Jesus teaches us how to pray. Verse 12, and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who, what church? Sin against us. He goes on to say in Mark chapter 11, verse 25, and when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, what church? Forgive them so that your Father in heaven will forgive you your sins. And then, man, the really hard ones, Luke 17, verse 4, even if that person wrongs you seven times a day and each time uh, turns again and asks for forgiveness, you must what? You must forgive. Now let me stop right here and say this. We've got to understand what forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not pretending, okay? Forgiveness is not pretending like it didn't happen. It's not pretending like it didn't matter, like it didn't hurt, like it wasn't a big deal. Also, forgiveness is not naively reestablishing trust. There, there are some people that we may need to forgive that we don't ever need to let watch our kids ever again. There are some people that we may need to forgive that we don't ever need to let handle our money again. There are some people that we may need to forgive that we may never need to work with again. Are you with me? Forgiveness is not naively reestablishing trust, nor is forgiveness reconciliation. Because you see, recon reconciliation is a two-way street. Reconciliation involves two, but here's the deal. It only takes one to forgive. We can forgive someone whether they want to be forgiven or not. We can forgive someone whether they think they should be forgiven or not. We can even forgive someone who is dead and gone and is no longer here to receive it. Listen, forgiveness doesn't always heal the relationship, but it does heal us. Because... We've been freed. When we renounce hatred and the need to seek vengeance and, and we release the offender and the offense to God, we get to leave the prison cell. Because you see, here's the deal. Forgiveness frees us to trust the justice 
of God. You see, here's the reality. We're not very competent justice collectors, right? In fact, when we get in the justice business, we almost always fail to consider the collateral damage and not just others but ourselves. Those of you who are older, you may remember the old radio show uh, Amos and Andy. And, and they love to do this one routine where Andy would stick dynamite up his shirt. And, and so Amos would walk up and he would see the, the bulge and he would say, what's that under your shirt or what's that under your jacket? And, and Andy would say, well, it's, it's dynamite. And Amos would say, well, why would you, why would you have dynamite under your jacket? And, and, uh, Andy would say, well, there's this guy who always comes up to me every day and he's poking me in the chest, poking me in the chest. And I don't like it when he pokes me in the chest. And so he says, the next time he comes up and pokes me in the chest, I'm going to blow his hand off. (laughs) But you see who's strapped to the dynamite, right? You, You get where I'm going with this. Listen, if the gospel's not true, if Jesus is not the Son of God, if He didn't die for our sins and raise from the grave, then go ahead and get even with everyone you can as soon as you can because there's no promise that anything's going to be made right. But if the gospel is true, if the Jesus story really happened, then we realize that when we forgive, we're not forfeiting justice. We're not letting our offender off the hook. We are putting them on God's hook. You see, forgiveness is an act of faith that God is better at justice making than we are. And let me also add this. Forgiveness is that we don't have to be paid for the wrongs that Jesus went to the cross to pay for, and that's a good thing, right? Because a lot of those wrongs are from you and me. You see, forgiveness frees us to receive the grace of God. There's a story that Jesus told, and I don't, I don't have time to read the whole story, but in Matthew 18... Jesus tells a story about a servant who owed his master an enormous amount of money. In fact, it was so large he'd never be able to pay it back. But the master stunningly, extravagantly just releases him from all this debt. But what's crazy about the story is this same servant who has been forgiven... He goes out and he finds someone who owes him just a little bit of money and he has him thrown in jail. And then when the master finds out about it, he is enraged and and he has his servant then thrown into jail. Again, some of you may be thinking, but if I forgive, it wouldn't be fair. But listen, grace isn't fair. 
We don't forgive because they deserve it. We forgive because we didn't deserve it, but God gave it to us anyway. And so if we don't give grace, then we really don't understand grace. We still don't understand in its essence the message of the gospel. Because free people don't spend their time focused on what others did to them. They spend their time focused on what God has done for them. Free people love communion. Because they can hold the bread and the cup and think about how much unlimited grace they've received. Again, I'm not asking you to pretend like what's happened to you wasn't bad or or that it didn't hurt. I'm asking you to realize that grace is so good. And when we walk in grace... We look good, right? Because forgiveness frees us to display the character of God. There in uh, Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 through 42, as Jesus is preaching the Sermon on the Mount, basically what he says there in, in those few verses is listen, let's, let's get real. The, the world. Okay, it it can be a really tough place to live because there are people in this world who can react toward us or act toward us in a way that's very evil or in a way that's just very ugly. And he, he gives an example. He says, for example, you may be slapped in the face. And he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn the other cheek. He said, in this world, you know what? You may even be taking a cord and and they may take your shirt. He says, but but here's, here's how I want you to respond. I want you to give them your robe as well. Now, don't misunderstand what Jesus is saying here. He's not condoning abuse. He's not telling you, listen, if you're in, a, if you're in an abusive situation, you, you need to remain there and, and you just need to take it. That's, that's not what Jesus is saying at all. What he's saying is you don't ever give someone else control over your emotions and your attitude and your actions. Charles Flood, in his book, Lee, The Last Years, wrote about how General Lee was visiting a woman in Kentucky. And she took General Lee out into her front yard and she told, showed him where this once tall, beautiful tree had been, but now it was just hardly anything because it had been damaged by Union artillery fire. And the woman was very resentful and complained bitterly to the general, expecting him to sympathize with her and and even criticize the North. But here's what General Lee said. He said, cut it down, my dear madam, and forget it. Listen, the offense may not be our fault, but the reaction is our choice. 
And the new you does not have to live, doesn't have to go back to that old prison prison cell enslaved by bitterness. In fact, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 through 44, He says, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. Let me ask you a question this morning as we close out. Did you realize that the best opportunity we have to reflect the character of God is right after we've been wronged? Right? Listen, we can't change the past. But we don't have to be chained to it. I'm here to tell you that that through the the power of God, God can can help you to get to a point to where you are able to forgive. I'm not saying it's overnight. I'm not saying that it's immediate. And and again, I'm, I'm not asking you to pretend like everything is okay and it doesn't hurt and, and it doesn't matter. But what I'm telling you is God can set you free from that. He can give you the strength and the power to overcome bitterness and anger and rage and set you free. Let's pray about it. God, we just come before you, and and Father, we've all been wronged. We all have hurts. I'm sure that probably just about every one of us can bring up some story or something that's happened in our lives where someone may have hurt us deeply. And Father, it's just so hard as we battle the flesh that pulls us back into slavery. It's it's hard to let that go. And so, Father, we just pray that You would empower us through Your Holy Spirit to let go of that. To realize that there really is no power in trying to make things right ourselves. That we're truly free when we give it to You. Father, we just pray this prayer in the power of Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to extend an invitation this morning. We always have the cross up here. If there's something that uh, you need prayers about that's more of a personal nature, you can leave those up here at the cross. Our elders, myself, we will pray over those things for you. If if there's something right now that you want us to pray about as, as a congregation, we'd love to do that for you. Or if, or if there's someone here today who wants to put on Christ in baptism, that's, that's where true freedom starts, right? Is when we give our life to Jesus and, and we are free from all our sins, all our wrongs, and, and all our mistakes, and and, and really, as we begin to think about what Jesus has done for us, His grace, His mercy towards us, man, it brings everything into perspective.
And so what are you focusing on this morning? Is your focus Jesus and the cross and what he's done for you? Or is your focus on yourself or the wounds that someone has inflicted on you, making them bigger and bigger and bigger in your lives, bringing about really a lack of peace and joy? Whatever the case may be, if you have a need, once you come together, we stand and sing.